Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. Welcome, welcome everybody. Hello, this is podcast number 37. I'm here with my co-host, Shannon St. Pierre. Hello. And my name is Adam Cruz. I'm the broker owner of the Herman London Group, and we are here this time to give you a market update. Shannon and I love to talk. We're real estate nerds. I'm a self-proclaimed real estate nerd. Do you call yourself a real estate nerd? No, but I guess that's a good way of saying it because I do dive into... The details? Deep, yeah, deep into the numbers. Okay, that's good. Probably what I want, would claim, but yes. Good. Okay, so today we have... We're going to kind of just generally give a real estate market update and we're going to nerd out on a few topics. I know we're going to talk about the crazy hot market. We're going to talk about multiple offers and all the different ins and outs that come with the situations buyers are facing today. Um, we want to talk about some simple things that sellers can do to wow buyers and find themselves in a situation where they're getting multiple offers, right? Versus sitting on the market. And uh, first, if you don't mind, I'd like to give a couple Herman London updates. By all means. By all means. Okay. So awesome. I want to give a congrats and a shout out to our agent, Ann Valenza. We uh, occasionally do different marketing contests or different types of contests at the Herman London Group. And this latest one, we had this huge list of different things that realtors could be doing to market themselves. And for each different thing that they did, they got an entry into our marketing contest. And then we just draw a random name and that random winner gets $1,000, right? So the more things you do, the more chances you have to win. And this contest was, uh, the contest winner was Ann Valenza. And it's great because she, you know, she's, she works really hard. And uh, so I'm glad to have her win. But the truth is, Shannon, everyone is a winner, Yes, you said that. Right? Right. I know. Everyone's like, I'd feel more of a winner with that $1,000 in my hand. But (laughs) the idea is that anyone who participated in a contest by doing different marketing things is a winner because they're going to end up getting more business and everyone's going to be more successful because of that. So thank you for agreeing with me on that one. Reluctantly. All right. So we also are excited because we have a billboard finally and... uh, I I've kind of always wanted a billboard, you know. It's one of those, what's what do they call that? It's like a vanity thing where I don't know that it actually does a whole lot of good, but you just kind of want one, you know. Yeah, it's one of those unimportant goals in life. Yeah. I yeah. Don't, what do you call sure? That? What, I would call like, it that. It's like an well, there's certain things that I think companies do, especially uh, like small companies like ours, that the business owners do to to boost their own ego and it's not actually necessarily good for business or doesn't necessarily yeah. like help the business. Right. You know? And so I don't think that someone's going to be driving by our billboard and see it and go, gosh, darn, I need to call them. Although I think if you do it right, I think billboards do work. So there you go. See, so we did, uh, we did a simple one that just has our brand on it. There's not even any calls to action on it, but I'm hoping that if you're listening and you see our billboard, it's right by, Kings Highway and 44. You can see it from Highway 44. Try to take a picture of it safely, of course, and uh, put it on social media and tag us on it or just tag me, Adam Cruz, on it. I'd really appreciate it because I haven't even seen it yet. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. A couple other things. Sometimes I feel like we're a real estate company second and a just a real good time 
social group first, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because like tonight we have the Association of Realtors trivia night and we're going to go. We got a table there. Um, should be a good time. I think that money goes to a good cause also. And then next Friday, you know, we're going to the Ronald McDonald House. We go there every year and we're cooking dinner at the Ronald McDonald House. It's always a nice time to get together. And I think that's for a really good cause. Yes. So I'd like to give it's it It's always up. a fun time. It is always a fun time. And we try to make really complicated dishes so that we we don't just get in and, you know, make spaghetti and get out so that we're kind of bonding and it's a good team building event and all that kind of stuff too. I've been uh, surprised. We've had a, not surprised, I guess excited. Uh, we've had a ton of inquiries lately from people who just got their real estate license. So we're going to talk a lot today about the market and how hot it is and all that kind of stuff. But I guess people are figuring that out because there's a lot of people getting into the real estate market and they're getting their license and all that kind of stuff. And I think you're going to meet one of the potential new realtors on Sunday too. So that's cool. And let's see, I've been enjoying getting together with our realtors. And you know what I really like doing is having people take this DISC assessment. And it's like a personality assessment. We've talked about it many times before. And then making a custom marketing plan with them and and customizing our training with them too, based on what their different personality is. And it's, and it's so interesting. I was meeting with somebody yesterday and I'm like, all right, so you're going to go, you're going to have a goal. You know, each week your goal is to reach out to 10 people and just check in with them, see how they're doing, whatever. And he was like, so like kind of clammed up and like, ah, I don't really want to do that, you know? And his personality is one that he just he just doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to he's not kind of like he doesn't sort of like to put himself out there socially, I guess, you know, whereas to someone like me or probably you, too, that would be the easiest thing on the list. You know, it's like, hey, just talk to some people. We're like, awesome. Love it. Talk to people. Actually, I'm going to go to shop and save right now and talk to five different people while I'm there, you know. It's so it's interesting the different personalities I think is always But I really like that assessment so I made my husband take it as well and I will say that the information that comes from it is eye-opening sometimes and when he asks specifically about it he then uh he's like do you think this is true and I was like yes it's true and he's like well what do you mean and then I gave him some examples about how he handles certain situations and yet other things that came up on it, he actually um, has used it to kind of update his resume on LinkedIn and use some of the words that they give you. Oh. So I actually think that it's a really powerful tool for everybody to at least do. And I think it gives, I think it was dead on great. And the, the words and the, the language that they use can really help you describe how you work. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Big time. Big time. It's, I mean, not just in real estate, but in life. And like you said, your husband likes to use it. And I wonder if, do you want to give any sort of examples? I can't remember. He did. He, so he's tried to update, uh, LinkedIn because he makes more connections that way. I think just because of where the industry he's in, but he has taken words directly from the disc assessment and used them on uh-huh. LinkedIn. Because as they tell you like descriptive words about yourself. Very and descriptive, yeah. but dead on and correct. And it's words that you wouldn't have necessarily thought of or used in your everyday language. So if you're wondering what this crazy stuff is that we're talking about, you can take an assessment for free 
my boy Tony Robbins on his website has a disc assessment. Uh, we're not supposed to call it a test, right? So it's an assessment. There's no right or wrong answers. But if you Google Tony Robbins disc, D-I-S-C, you'll get to a page where you can take this assessment and you'll get the results and it's just really neat. I think it gives you like a 30-page report that you can read through. And Yeah, it's a super so. long report. But just be super honest with the questions because when I redid it a couple months ago, um, I was brutally honest, like as if anyone else were ever watching me, there's no way I would have chosen the answers that uh-huh. I would have mm-hmm. because I'm like, wow, I think I'm a bad person. Like, <laughs> I don't really care about that as much right. as I thought. Maybe I, maybe I should. And, uh, but then what it spits out is dead on. Yeah. It's, there, there's, I like to say there's no right or wrong answers, right? So it's not like, oh, this is a better personality than the other one. There's just, there's just different ones. And we need all the different types, right? So mm-hmm. um, anyway, we could talk about that all night, but that's not what we're here for. I love talking about the disc, though. What we want to talk about tonight is the market update and how, in, in general, what we're seeing is that it's a sort of, a, would you call it a frustratingly hot market? I guess I've been very frustrated. I've come to you more than a couple of times. Well, yeah. Or I've posted on the forum how I bet I'm frustrated yeah I, so, I feel very challenged right now it's everyone calls it oh my gosh it's a great real estate market and i think i think that people call it a really good real estate market when it's what we would call a seller's market where if you list your house your house is going to sell fairly easily for a really reasonable price but oh. what everyone forgets is it's terrible for buyers right so i wouldn't say that buyers would call this a really good market no they would not i mean i don't think buyers would People in general, like the news, would call it a good market. Yes. But anyone who's trying to buy a house right now is hating it, and I think, most likely. And I'm, you know, I like to buy a lot of investment properties. And someone said to me today, they're like, is, are someone just, I forget how she said it, but it's like, are people just crazy if they buy investment properties right now? And I'm like, I hope not. I closed on one this morning, but I think you have to be. Why would, why would they be crazy? Well, she's been finding. In potential investment properties, sending them to their her clients, and her clients are like, the numbers are really bad on this, right? And we and we are going to do another podcast on this mm-hmm. because you and I have talked in depth about some numbers this week, and you were like, why this deal? And my answer to you was because the numbers actually work. Yeah, the numbers actually work. And so, you know, that what I said back to our agent is I'm like, well... It, that's rare. I haven't been finding that. It is. It is kind of tough to find them. But uh, if um, if you don't like the numbers of a deal, my whole thing is make an offer on the property at a price that would make the numbers work, you know? Mm, right. Um, some people don't like to make offers if they're low or quote-unquote lowball offers, but... You know, I've talked before. My thing is like if we go out and look at five properties that meet my general criteria, I'm probably going to make an offer on all five of them. Yes. And the agent and the seller might not like my offer, but in general, for me, you know, maybe one out of 10 or one out of 15 of those properties, I'll get an accepted contract. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got an accepted offer on this. But that's how I'm buying properties now. Uh, and I think we need to talk about that again. Again, on the um, when we talk about a little bit more investment property, because I think beginning investors, I even have them getting really frustrated right now. Um, and I'm and I have said, so what? We just keep writing offers. We've only written a couple offers. Right. Like we just yeah. keep writing offers. 
don't worry. Well, at least, and I think to them, they're used to just writing an offer for a house, and I'm like, yes, but that's the house you want to live in. That's much mm-hmm. different, right? Than just at least offers. they're getting it, I guess, because we do have some agents. I'm kind of seeing two things. Right at our meeting the other day, people are like, "Oh my gosh, multiple offers is so frustrating." We offered, you know, ten thousand dollars over list price, and we still didn't get it, mm-hmm. which is a frustrating place to be from the agent and the buyer's perspective. But then we have some agents who are working with buyers who are, I guess, new to the market or maybe first-time buyers. Yes, and they're going to a property that everyone knows. You know, we know is going to be really popular. It's going to have multiple offers. It's going to sell for over asking. You know, there's 30 people at the open house or whatever. And then our agent's buyer is going, I want to submit what we would call a lowball offer on it. And we're, you know, okay, we support doing what you want to do. We like to give our buyer the information, but then they get to make the ultimate decision. But they're just losing out. I mean, just crazy losing out on properties, which would you rather lose out on a property by making a lowball offer on it? Or would you rather lose out on a property by offering ten thousand dollars over what they're asking and still lose out on it. I think it's all the same because of the I think that I think I'd rather take lose out on the low ball offer only because even with the buyer, they kinda understand like ah, I probably won't get it, but let's just for let's fun. Just let's just do it for fun. And I'm yeah. always like for fun, sure. I don't really care. It doesn't take much to write an offer necessarily. Um but I think it's much harder when you really dive into the numbers and get them to commit to something well over the asking. And we're not even close. You don't even get it. Yeah. So, okay. So you're going to give us a few um, market statistics, right? Yes. Go, let's go through them. So right now, um, this is definitely a seller's market. And so if you're thinking of selling your house, you could probably do it within a matter of hours and not days. Right. Is what I'm getting. So uh, single family homes sold is up 5% over January of 2017. So all these numbers are over January 2017, one um, year ago. So we're kind of waiting for February's numbers to be finalized technically, and then we're waiting. And so they're always really behind. But All right, let me let me ask you a question. Because you said, like, this is a great time to sell, and your house might sell in hours or whatever. Right. And I, I guess I want to point out real quick that you still need a realtor, right? Because oh, the reason it sells within is because of a realtor. Because of the exposure that the realtor is giving, because of some of the type of advice we're going to give tonight about how to present the property, right? Right. But then I think that you need a realtor too to help you know how to handle when you do get multiple offers. And we're going to talk about handling multiple offers and kind of some of the intricacies in that in our podcast here today. But I, I guess what we've seen is differences of tens of thousands of dollars on some of these on some of these offers between one and the next one and even what you're listing for and what you end up getting and just the real fine details about uh the offer and what little pieces are in it and stuff like that so all right go on so the um single family homes are way up five percent active listings are down 11 percent okay so there's Okay, so how, what does that mean? So if you think about it, sales are up, but listings are down. Okay, so, so the number of listings tight, are down. Yeah, it's even tighter markets. So sales are up 5%, yet there's 11% less active 
listings, listings which this means that month than there was a year ago. Yes. Wow. Okay. So that's even tighter about what we're saying about it's a seller's market and there's way less houses for sale than there are buyers available or than there are buyers looking to buy a house. Yes. And in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've seen that, I feel like, drastically. Um, so yeah, there's not a lot of active listings and there's a lot of buyers in the market. Okay. What's your next one? So then the um, average days that on market is 36 days. Um, that's crazy. I mean, is, uh, yeah. So it's 36 days versus 35 days this, at this time last year. So I find that pretty crazy, but I'm thinking the averages is obviously it's going to have to work out the averages because you do see homes sitting on the market for a really long time. Yeah. Right now you're either on the market for like all come into play. So some of those will be sitting on the market for a really long time, but if it's a, I would say a market ready, move in ready kind of mm-hmm. for the most part home. It's not sitting on the market. Well, the, okay. So that's an interesting thing that you're saying because we keep talking about, Oh, it's a seller's market. You're going to get all these crazy offers. Right. Mm-hmm. But you, that doesn't mean that you can go and take a house that's worth one fifty that maybe with multiple offers would get one sixty, and you can just list it for two fifty. No. Not even close. If and you, you still have that, to do the work. You can't just throw a sign in your yard either. Hire a realtor, throw a sign in the yard. Right. and so You the, still have to do the work. So you're saying the median days is up to 36 versus last year it was 35. Weird and crazy to me because I can remember when it was 90. You know, like years ago, it was 90 days was the average days on market. Well, I think even a couple... Even a couple years... So even... So not last year. So maybe 2015 maybe? Like... And it, it will, you have to remember this takes into the account, the whole region. So that will vary the days on market, depending on the, the area down to even neighborhoods. But I want to say that I will look at certain areas and it's, well, as even last year was maybe around 80 days for certain um, areas. Okay. So that just, I think varies drastically depending on. What's your next statistic? So months of inventory is at, we're at 2.9. And this time last, last year, we were 3.4. Okay. Well, that to me is the only one of the uh, statistics that you're talking about now that I don't think the average person knows what it means. And so before I kind of talk about what I think months of inventory numbers mean can you kind of describe to us or do you want me to describe i guess what the what months of inventory is and how they calculate that um yeah because the it is a specific calculation where we determine seller's market versus buyer's market versus um normal right what they call normal market so one to four is a seller's market five to six is a normal market seven plus months of inventory is a Buyer's market. Buyer's market. Okay, so months of inventory, here's how we do it, right? We take the total number of active listings currently on the market in whatever market we want. So we could figure this out for Kirkwood or all of St. Louis County or the entire world, right? But um, for, for our purposes, the statistics you're giving are for St. Louis City and St. Louis County. But so we take the total number of active listings on the market, and in this case, we're talking about for January of 2018 and we divide that number by the total number of sales that happened in that same time period 
right? So if there's uh, 3,000, well, right now there's 3,211 active listings on the market. And so, um, I, don't make me try to do quick math. But so if there was 400 sales in that same period, they would take 3,211 divided by 400, and that's where they'd come up with the uh, months of inventory. Yeah, so that's the an example would be 500 active listings in February, 125 sales and pending sales. So months of inventory is 500 divided by 125. That's You get four. So in theory, if there was no more homes that came on the market at all, there would be enough homes that would, uh, enough inventory of homes that would last for another, right now it's 2.9 months. Yes. And in that example, it was the 500 divided by 125 is four. So four months of inventory, which is a very low number. Mm -hmm. And we're at 2.9. So it's not like a perfect statistics because it would never work that way that A, no homes come on the market and B, everyone's just like gobbling up the exact remaining amount of homes. There's probably always be that one weird house that would just sit there forever. Always. Right. Right. But uh, it's an interesting number. So like you said, now that you have perspective on what that means, one to four months is seller's market, which is what we're in. Five to six months we're considering to be a neutral market. And seven plus months we're considering to be a buyer's market. Okay, so if you're in right now, if you're in a seller's market, it's a good time to sell, not as awesome of a time to buy. So if you're buying and holding properties or if you have properties that you're holding, this is a good time to sell them. Well, except for I I would say that for buyers, this is still a really good time to sell. I mean to buy just because um, interest rates are doing nothing but going up. They predict that the interest rates were going to be raised four times this year. They've already raised them twice. Mm -hmm. So it's still a really great time for a buyer to go ahead and get out into the market and at least try. Yeah, I guess I guess when we if we say it's a bad time to buy, I think what we mean is it's like sort of like a hard time to find a house to buy, I guess. Right. It's like a stressful time to buy, maybe. Right? I mean... Right. But I think that that's where the agent kind of comes in and manages the expectations mm-hmm. and helps them understand the markets and what could possibly happen. So if you are wanting to buy a house now, you should probably start earlier than later, right? Yeah. So I think where this really comes into play is for buyers who are waiting to get closer to their leases ending. Uh That's where I see the trouble existing is because they think three months might be enough time to buy a house, get it closed on it by the end of a lease. And then they're stressing. And then it's a very stressful situation. So what we would encourage people to do is if they have, say, six months left on their lease, then they should reach out to us and have a meeting, start learning about real estate, probably even go look at a few properties in different areas and get a feeling of what you want so that you can keep an eye on the market, start talking to your lender, see if there's anything you need to fix, and then have a goal probably of by three months, then you'll be, when there's three months left, then you're actually really ready to write offers, right? Yes. So if you have six months left on a lease, I'm starting to stress at six months. But you can't write, I mean, you're not going to write an offer yet when you have six months. Not necessarily, but it's right now it's taking buyers a really long time to find a house. To find a house. And so I guess it all depends on your financial situation and your lease situation and all that kind of stuff. But our our point is start early. Yeah. I think my question is, 
always to them is if they can go month to month, if the landlord will allow them them to go go month to month. month. And for the majority, I would say 98% have said, yes, it's an option. It's not one we would like to do because they'll raise the rent, Yeah, but it's cheaper than paying for a mortgage and a lease. And the deal is when you buy a house, your first monthly payment is not until the month after. So if you buy a house in January, your first monthly payment is not until March. So it helps them if they still have to pay a monthly um, uh, rent payment, right? Because then they're yes. not paying a rent payment and a mortgage payment on the same month necessarily. Right. Um, okay. But they can be moving into their home. Yeah. If I was if I was in a lease, I would really like to have my lease for probably two or three weeks at least while, you know, I guess after the closing of my home so that I can have a little bit less stressful time of moving Painting, people like to paint, do yeah. I do. It's always there's always a few things that people would love to do ideally before they move in. Okay, so is that your last statistic? Yes, I think so. What about this one here? About oh, the medium, medium sales home sales. Uh, the medium sales are up four percent. So right now they're one hundred and fifty six nine hundred. It's almost one hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars. Is our is our median? We're calling it median, not average. That's our median Sorry, sales median. price in St. Louis, city and county. Right now is one fifty six. One fifty six. Up four percent from the previous year. It is up a lot from when I remember when it was like one hundred thirty seven. So I thought, man, it's going up. All right, I'm ready to start selling off some of my properties. No, I'm not. I'm going to keep them. <laughs> All right, that's our that's our uh, market statistics update, right? Yes. Um, so you want to dive into this whole topic about multiple offers? And you did a deal the other day where you made an offer on a property and the agent said, thank you so much for being one of 17 people who made an offer on my listing. Yes, so I've had in the last two weeks um, where... It was a this. It was a cute little house, and he. This one just is always going to blow my mind. I still can't wrap my mind around this. I've lost out on how many houses I've been through, multiple, multiple, you know, offer situations I've mm-hmm. lost off, lost out on. This one I I'm still having a harder time with, and it's a. Don't get me wrong, super cute house, two beds, two baths. Um, in a good area, great area, but. When I did the comps, yeah, um, you know, should I sp- say specific numbers? Yeah, Doesn't I think really you can talk numbers. Um, so it was on the market for one eighty nine. It, it got seventeen offers, right. and um, we were at. And I, when I did the comps, I couldn't really find anything over two. Even when I, I saw this house on the um, MLS and they said, oh, I really want to go see this house. When I flipped through it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is totally the house for them. So I kind of ran some comps. There was nothing around over two. Mm-hmm. So we went in at 203. Wow. And we weren't even close. Did she give you any indication of what it sold for? No, I just, so because well, they can't. Right. They can't. Um, so, no. And... But so my next question was, when will you be closing? Because you want to know what it's going to sell for? <laughs> yeah, so I can look. And uh, so they're closing in the second weekend of April. So I put it on my calendar to check that listing, check back. So there's a, some things that we see, like if we're a seller, we have a different perspective than when we're representing a buyer, obviously. But 
some things that we see buyers doing now in this competitive market to get their offer accepted that I don't necessarily encourage a buyer to do, but you do see buyers doing this, is removing their inspection contingency, which is crazy. Don't do it, right? I mean, people. I guess people are losing their minds. Like, I want this house. There's 17 offers. What can I do to make my offer win? So they're removing the inspection contingency? I mean, yeah. I've Yeah, people are doing that. Okay, so let's... So what that means is that they're waiving their right to negotiate they're, um, no. or to be able to walk away after inspection. People you're are not, doing it You're not waiving your right to do your inspections. People are doing different things. Some people will entirely remove the inspection contingency paragraph, which is removing your right to even do inspections. Some people will add language into special agreements that says this property is as is, which is basically removing your right. Well, it's not really removing your right to ask the seller to fix anything, but you're kind of like promising the seller that you won't ask them to fix anything. So, hey, I still want to get it inspected. I can still back out if I find something crazy, but, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to ask you to fix a couple little things here and there. Okay, so so far you've said that they've removed the the contingency altogether, meaning they they're removing the right to even do inspections. To the next step that you've seen is from down from that is writing as is, meaning you still want to do your due diligence, uh-huh. but you're kind of saying. I just want to know and make sure there's nothing, no major defects. And I just kind of want to know what's going on with the house, but I'm pretty much, I'm not going to ask you to fix anything. I just want to do my due diligence. And I think that one has a little bit of merit where there's definitely examples of times where that, you know, saying, okay, I'll buy it as is can, can sort of work, right? You still get to inspect it and you still get to have professionals come over and give you their opinions and that type of thing. Um, I can sort of work. I can see people doing that one. I'm not, like as afraid of that one um uh, quick quick offshoot sort of comment like in the uh what what uh, burger place is that with the great commercials with the two guys in the car uh you don't know what i'm talking about i can't think of it sonic anyway quick oh. offshoot comment about that i had a listing and i was working the open house and it was definitely going to be a multiple offer situation and this one like buyer was over there and his parents were over there and they were asking me the most detailed questions about everything about the house that I could tell that they were going to be tough kind of to work with. And we did, we, they didn't end up getting the house because the other offers were actually better uh, offers. But I was a little bit nervous if we would have accepted their offer because I knew they were just going to nitpick us. And so it's even like, what impression do you make when you go to the open house? You know, and we'll, we'll, we can talk more about that, too, about how the agent, the, your agent, the buyer's agent, has to present themselves to the other agent and, you know, seem easy to work with and all that kind of stuff. But um, So back to inspections. So you can remove your right to inspections altogether. You can remove your right to do a lot of negotiating after inspections. I think that, you know, those, I guess, have their own merit, sort of. Um, the other thing people are doing is not adding this document called the appraisal writer. Mm -hmm. And so they're getting a loan. They're going to buy this house. They're going to get a loan. And they're not adding the appraisal writer. And what that, you know, 
I thought of a weird way to say this the other day, but when you buy a house, it's not really used. You're not generally really using your money, right? You're using the bank's money. And so by removing the appraisal writer, you're kind of saying like, Hey, I want to buy this house. Um, but I am not going to not contingent upon the bank telling me if they'll give me the money or not. I'm I'm saying that weird, weirdly, but okay. So I'm going to, challenge you on this but you keep going through your thought well so basically if on this house that you were just talking about mm-hmm. if you know you thought it was worth no more than 200 somebody probably ended up offering 220 on it right my first in- instinct i said to them i bet it goes for 215 okay so let's say somebody is paying 215 for it if they have the appraisal writer which we encourage our buyers to use and the appraiser comes out and he appraises it and says it's worth 210 right then the buyer can go back to the seller and say hey seller this property only appraised for 210 so either sell it to me for 210 or i'm out of here and if the seller says i'm not going to sell it to you for 210 get out of here i'm going to find somebody else then the buyer can either say okay i'm gone or they can say well fine i will come up with that extra $5000 so my lender will give me a loan based upon a sales price of 210. So my down payment percentage will be based on 210. So I'll have to bring my down payment plus the difference, which in this case would be $5,000. Mm-hmm. So by removing your appraisal writer, you're kind of putting yourself out there on the limb to pay whatever that difference might be. And in some of these cases, like the one you just said, you think, hey, man, this thing's only worth 200 at a max. So that buyer, if they remove their appraisal writer, might end up having to come up with whatever percentage they're putting down on 200 plus the $15,000 difference, mm-hmm. right? And so if the seller gets two offers and one of them is 215 with uh, an appraisal writer, I'm sorry, with no appraisal writer, mm-hmm. 215 with no appraisal contingency, and the other one is 220 but with an appraisal writer, the seller might consider going with the slightly lower offer with no appraisal writer because the buyer will not be able to back out based on the price of the property. Okay. So I've had in the scenario where it got in a competitive situation area where I've got, I've had, I was on the side of the seller. I've gotten an offer and they removed the, because the other thing you can do is remove the financing Contingency. contingency right so there's also in the paragraph if you're not approved for the loan and um then then you get out of the offer you can back out of the offer which you would probably have to unless right um and you get your earnest money back so that's the, the important thing to kind of right. know about that so i thought what was interesting about this is you have seen where they've dropped the appraisal writer where this one specific offer and i haven't the only time I've really seen it is where they didn't, the offer's not based on the financing contingency, but they had the appraisal writer. Yeah, I mean. So, I mean, I think that that's a good way to go in too is, yes, they came in at a really high over um, list price. They're very confident in their financing ability, but the house still has to appraise for what I'm buying it at is what they're saying. Yeah, so I mean, let's. I don't know. I and guess that's a, a that's a nice offer too, but it still has to appraise. Yeah. So, but it but 
it's not going to fall through because they can't get financing, which I feel like I see that a lot happening a little bit is yeah. offers are falling through because they get they can't get the financing or they figure out they can't get the financing. So I guess my question to you is on the flip side. So both have happened where you would you don't do it on the financing contingency, but you still attach to the appraisal writer. And then on the flip side, you don't attach to the appraisal writer, but you still take the financing contingency. Isn't it all kind of one of the same anyway? Well, because honestly, like how do you get the financing if the bank says, um, I'm not going to give you a loan for this because well, it's not appraising and things have so changed. I, my, the bank says no. When the bank says no, well, the deal is things have changed, right? So a, it used to be really easy to get a loan denial letter. You call your lender, you okay. go, Hey, I need yes. a loan denial mm-hmm. letter. He goes, sweet. Here it is. No problem. You know, mm-hmm. why don't you keep a copy in case you need one in the future? Right? <laughs> so you can't do that anymore. Now getting a loan denial letter is a harder because they have to kind of like get it approved through underwriting or whatever. They actually have to deny the loan and b the loan denial letters now have a reason on it. They have to have a reason why the loan was denied. Okay. And so there's new, also new wording in the sales contract in uh, paragraph four, the uh, financing contingency, that basically says, hey, you, this contract is contingent on my buyer being able to get a loan or me as the buyer being able to get a loan. But it's if I wanted this to be specifically contingent on the property appraising, then I should add the appraisal writer, right? And so when we're talking earlier and we're saying, oh, if the property doesn't appraise, then you have to pay the difference. And you're sitting here listening to our podcast going, heck no, I'll just back out because of financing. Well, you technically shouldn't or can't or however you want to call that because I'm not here to give legal advice, right? But my interpretation is that you shouldn't be able to back out based on the appraisal writer, a loan denial based on the appraisal writer because, I'm sorry, based on appraisal if you did not have the appraisal writer. You following because me? I'm sort of jumping around here. Now you've, because you've separated them out. But does it not say in the contract? The contract says if you basically if you want this thing to be contingent on an appraising, you need to add the appraisal writer. Which so, we do. Which we do, and we're suggesting that people do. But mm-hmm. it's to me that's saying if you don't add the appraisal writer, then don't be trying to back out because the property didn't appraise. And so if somebody sends you a loan denial letter and goes, Hey, here's a mutual release, we're getting out of here, here's our loan denial letter, and it says loan denied because of appraisal, it's like, Oh, hold on a second there. You did not add the appraisal writer. You know, fine, you got a loan denial. Here's the mutual release. You can get out of this thing, but I'm at least going to keep your earnest money because you're backing out for kind of a uh, crap reason. Yeah, for one, you you waived. You waived the right to back out because of that. Yeah. Because of the competitive mm-hmm. situation. And so that's I'm not an attorney not and that's plain. sort of a gray area, but I don't yeah. think that it's, I don't think that people should be able to get out for a reason that they just said they wouldn't be able to get out for. But we also can't then somehow force them to get a loan and close on the property. So you're right. better off probably just letting them out, but trying to keep their earnest money. And I think that in that scenario, they sh- the seller should keep the Absolutely. earnest money because um, yeah. and it's, you are I'm, trying to play like be competitive and push out all these other legit offers mm-hmm. that may have had that in yeah. there. But now you've just... And that's why I mentioned earlier, I think you need a realtor to help you with all this kind of stuff because there's so many little de- fine details and timelines, right, are really important where if it doesn't appraise, oh, well, it didn't appraise. Well, I'll just back out because of inspections, right? 
okay, well, we're probably past inspection period. If the general buyer's agent is encouraging the lender to wait to do the appraisal until the inspection contingency has been passed and all this kind of stuff. So you really need someone who has a really good understanding of the deal timeline. And when they look at an offer, when I look at an offer and I read through it, I can picture this whole deal timeline in my head and I can explain how it's going to work and just see all the different little intricacies of what could happen based on different different things, you know? So I, I think it's important that you have someone that can really like evaluate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a seller's agent to be able to look at all that and say what is probably going to be legit and what's just going to end up causing us trouble. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about these uh, escalation clauses. Yes. Which are you the one that hates escalation clauses? No, I love escalation. You love escalation clauses. I do, but I, it doesn't, it's as though it, it's, it hasn't come into play because agents are just saying, no, we want best and final. Right. And, um, in, and then so last weekend, again, I mean, before I could even get home to write the offer, they already accepted another offer. I'm like, well, let's talk and about it's just kind of like in that case, they just like, they just accepted one. They didn't even take into consideration all the offers that might come in, in that first weekend in the market. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just kind of craziness, right? And then they That's wouldn't even allow showings on Saturday. So I'm just Well, so you're jumping win. you're jumping ahead to my next topic which was going to be pressure. Well, yeah, so um I think that there's some agents who are really good at putting the pressure some buyers agents that are really good at putting the pressure on the listing agent and then therefore the seller to accept their offer in a like an expeditious manner. So short time are you saying in a short time response right. time? Yeah. And so not waiting. They don't want them to wait and see how many other offers that come in or what they, all their terms are. And they don't want to get into this like multiple offers, submit your highest and best thing. Yeah. They're, they're good at kind of uh, putting the pressure on to get them to accept it fast. And there must've been some sense of that happening. If you went to an open house, you literally drive home to write the offer and they already accepted one. Yeah. There's no reason why they should have done that. Well, and the agent said that she said, I, I can't, I've tried to talk my, my seller into just waiting, let all the offers come in uh-huh. and just, she's like, but pretty much everyone that saw it was writing an offer and she was just, she's just wanted to choose one. And so she could move on with her day. What a weird was, thing. It's a completely odd, completely like, odd. Move on. I want to move on with my day and I don't want to take the extra, call it three hours to maybe get thousands of dollars more. Thousands. Thousands. Yes. So there, yeah, that's just interesting that people, you know, whatever she had to do that day was very, very important. And it cost her probably thousands of dollars. It cost her thousands. No, she's just like, I think wanted to get on with her day. And um, she, so she wanted to accept one and just kind of, so she just didn't want to have to be near a computer phone or whatever she was doing. Like you're right. So whatever it was, was worth thousands of dollars. Um, but the agent in that case, they, was like I don't have that. I don't have anything like that in my life. Um, but the offer or the agents said, but we'll accept backup offers. And so far, no one wants to do a backup offer. And I'm like, I like backup offers too. So you did a backup offer? Like, yes. There's no reason not to, to not do a do. backup offer. I feel like it's laziness. Right. Um, it is, especially if you understand part. like 
what the backup offer form says and what outs and stuff that gives you, there really is no reason to do a backup offer or reason not to do a backup yeah. offer. So, I mean, I get it. It's paperwork, but it's, I don't think it matters. I think actually we would get the house for less than what we would have offered if our backup offer actually comes into play. So, okay, quickly, I want to talk about these escalation clauses. I'm going to, I'm going to say again, I'm not an attorney. If you know, if you have questions or whatever, consult your attorney, everyone's situations are different. I feel like I have to say these types of things because I don't want people to just use the examples. Assume I'm our give word and, is law. Yeah, or just like you know, I don't know your specific situation, so maybe this is not appropriate for you. But so a very simple ex- example escalation clause is, you know, here's our offer. It's exactly listing price or whatever number it is, and we're willing to give a thousand dollars above the highest offer up to X. Right. So we'll give you one hundred fifty thousand. Or we'll give you a thousand dollars above the highest offer up to one hundred sixty thousand. Now you know when I write escalation clauses, I write them that simple. And to me, the most important thing I can do is explain to my buyer exactly what's going on here. And the best way I've been able to think of how to say that is we're giving the seller and the agent technically a chance to be honest, right? So to me, without the escalation clause, our only other option was to offer the top number they would give, which is in this example was 160,000, Okay. right? And so if they only got another offer at 155, we're going to end up paying 156, mm-hmm. right? And then they, the buyer naturally would say, how do we know that they really had an offer at 155? And so to answer that question, what a lot of agents do is they start adding extra wording into their escalation clause, like, you know, listing agent to provide a, copy of bona fide offer or whatever. And then I think that we've seen one company that has an entire page long of wording for their escalation clause. Really? Do you have a copy of that? I do have a copy of that. And I think you have a copy of like some really long paragraph that you really like. I do. I use a whole paragraph. Okay. I'm guilty of that. that's, That's fine. But my point is, is that if these people are liars, right? Mm -hmm. If they're going to go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm a liar. And I want that 160, even though my highest other offer is only 155, mm-hmm. then I personally believe there's nothing keeping them from just writing a fake offer. Right. And so when I've when I've had when I've represented a buyer and the seller's asking us for a copy. Oh, I'm sorry, when I've represented a seller and the buyers that ends up getting it has asked us for a copy of the other offer, I've always been honest because I think that's um, what do you call it? Reputation and morals and all that kind of stuff. But Everything ethical. If they yeah, ethics, that's what I meant. So if they make me send them a copy of the other offer, to me to be ethical to the agent who made that offer to the buyer that made that offer, I cross out the name of the agent, the name of the buyer, anything that would be identifying, and so I'm sending to the winning buyer's agent of uh, this document with all this black line stuff. So how do they know I'm being honest? So I guess I think I've asked you this before, maybe, but is it really truly unethical or unethical or do we get in trouble as realtors if we said without the redaction? Um, Now, can you show me the other offer and not redact uh, maybe even maybe just the the, um, other potential buyer, but not necessarily the the um, the other agent? I don't. I don't truly know the answer to that. Yeah, and I think that we've talked about that because 
um, when I've been in multiple or in escalation clause and I've won it, I, I think it's happened a couple of times where they just send over the contract. And that's not necessarily meaning it's right. You know, they could be uninformed or they could be whatever. And that, it doesn't necessarily that's make it right do. that they've done it. And I, I say in that paragraph with personal information. Removed. Mm-hmm. So to me, what a seller should do in that case, and we're getting off topic sort of about the escalation clause, but if a seller gets a you know one offer that's 155 and one that says up to 160, you know, 1,000 above the offer, highest offer up to 160, if that seller really wants 160, they can counter offer that buyer and say, give me 160, right? And then okay. that buyer's agent is going to go, hold on, what, what, why in Golly, why are we getting a counter offer? Does that mean they have another offer at this price, or what does that mean? It means they want one sixty, whether they have another offer or not, right? And so I think that that's fair to do because the buyer said, "Hey, I'll pay one sixty, so why not just counter and say, "Yeah, fine, give us one sixty." But so what you're saying, Shannon, is that when you're representing a buyer, the listing agent calls you back and says, "We have ten other offers, or seventeen in that case." And probably at least half of them probably have escalation clauses because over the last few years, those have gained popularity. Other people are figuring out what they are. And then that agent, the listing agent, isn't quite sure how to like evaluate what the different escalation clauses mean and what the actual highest number is. And so they're mm-hmm. just saying, don't get your, get your escalation clauses out of here yes. and give us just an actual number. Yeah, highest and best, that's it. I can see why they do that. I could also probably argue that that's not necessary because I think they're, I th- I mean, depending on how they all were, their escalation clauses and stuff, I think that they're, if you look through them, you could choose like, okay, this is the highest one probably. But I want to talk a little bit about how the agent who's representing the buyer can do a good job on presenting the offer and kind of communicating with the other agent and how that sort of relationship that may exist or not exist already can be formed and can sort of influence the deal, right? So if one agent already has a bad reputation or they've had a bad deal together or they're just known to be aggressive or something like that, and or they're tough one to deal with. tough to deal with, mm-hmm. uh, they're and they're one of the offers, the listing agent can influence the seller and say, yeah, this offer is okay, but this guy is really not someone you want to deal with, right? Absolutely. And I've been in situations where there's multiple offers and the agent, I'm representing the buyer or one of the buyers, I guess. And the listing agent has called me and said, we're going to go with your offer because I want to work with you, which I'm like, that's cool. But uh, that's interesting, right? That that, uh, That that agent has such an influence over that. And I can't imagine that our offer was you know, $5,000 less than the next offer. It must have been fairly close. But that that sort of agent relationship thing is important. And if you don't know that listing agent, then you can, you can I guess, present your offer in a way that you're going to let them know like a full and complete offer, right? Here's our earnest money. Here's our pre-approval. I've already contacted our inspector, you know, and kind of let them know in different ways that you're going to be easy to work with. Am I making any sense here? Yes. I think by presenting, I think, yeah, one of our other agents kind of talks about this where an agent called her up as she was the listing agent and just chatted her up a little bit. Uh-huh. And I think that that's a really good I- idea 
I, uh, um, I think the best idea is to always uh, be very professional and when working within this industry. So the hard thing for buyers and sellers is they don't know the reputation of agents necessarily right. inside this industry, but there are some really big name mm-hmm. agents that I can say their name in any room and everyone goes, Ugh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. like, yeah. Oh, I did deal with them and it was terrible. It was awful. I, I, so, um, there's no real way for a buyer or seller to really know that information, but I do think that there's a way, uh, um, I think it's just, I think that if you're if, as a, the buyer representing the buyer, if you can get a hold of the, the seller's agent, and that's been the other issue. I don't, I can't really get agents to pick up the phone lately in these situations to just chat them up and say, what is important? I know price is important. What else is important to your client? So when I'm in this situation, in that 17 offer situation, mm-hmm. I tried calling the agent. I tried texting the agent and I asked him, I said, I get price is probably very important. What else would be important to them? So Love is that. it closing day? Is it, you know, are you worried about financing? Do you want, I can have you, my lender call you today. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you need? And Nothing. I can't get, and I've had that more than a couple times where I can't get a response because I would, I can get my buyers probably do anything besides completely overpay. Yeah. Closing date and stuff like that. They can yes. totally be flexible on it. it probably and I can get a, my lender to call their lender to call you today. And yeah, talk they about, got the money. They told, yeah, they're well qualified. All right. So, so that's the other thing, like as a buyer or and working, having your agent do those things. Um, can really help too. Okay, so in typical St. Louis Realtor podcast fashion, mm-hmm. we've gone over time. You know, we had more stuff that we wanted to talk about, but we'll keep that for next time. Right? We got our new podcasting equipment here, so we're trying it out. I've got the headphones on. You'll see it in our picture that we'll take, um, and we're going to try to do more of these podcasts. Please submit your questions to podcast at hermanlondon.com, submit them through Facebook. Uh, reach out. Shannon, would you give your information in case someone wants to call you buying or selling? Right. So my cell phone, 314-583-0070. Or you can uh, email me, Shannon at livingtowergrove.com or look me up on online. At Facebook is backslash livingtowergrove. Um, website, stlouiscityrealtor.com. stlouiscityrealtor.com. Okay. So thank you everybody for listening. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.